BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Give me a good mic check. You know, just do your thing. Check, 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 check. Hey y'all, and welcome to In Kaylin Color. I'm your host Kendra, and I'm here to tell you all about true black crime. I want to bring the light, the unheard, and push down stories of black serial killers, lesser known murderers, and true tales of crime scene cleanup. The danger in ignoring black victims and perpetrators is not only in the devaluation of black life, but also in ignoring systematic oppression that makes black people more vulnerable to violent crime and less likely to receive justice. I'm not saying let's celebrate black crime, but let's just bring some light to it and let the people know what's really happening. True crime is horrible. Luckily, I'm not. Here we go. These are their stories. rough in my voice i've had a very rough weekend but we'll talk about that another time (laughs) and welcome to episode number nine of in killing color this is going to be an episode that's a little different we're trying to be different instead of talking about the killer and focusing on him i'm gonna do a victim side today um obviously it has to do with you know domestic violence stalking the shitty ass police that don't do what the fuck they supposed to do when people, women call in for domestic violence calls and things like that. So that's what we're talking about today. Um, let's get to it. All right. So Deanna Cook is who we're talking about today. And the way that her story was um, handled in the city of Dallas, it basically sparked lots of changes in the way that the state handles um, emergencies and domestic violent calls and things like that. Deanna was a really pretty, vibrant, athletic girl. She ran track. Um, She ran the 200. She was just, you know, super fast. She was a very sweet girl, her mom said. You know, not only was she, you know, a star athlete and all that, She was pretty much the center of attention of her family in Dallas. Um, Her sister, I'm just going to give her first name because I'm going to forget later on. I'm going to start calling them three different names like I always do. Um, Her sister's name is Carlita. She said that 
whenever Deanna came in the room, she was definitely going to be the star of the show. I can relate. <laughs> I really can. <laughs> she was just a really fun person and she's always been like on 10. Oh, Deanna, we're so similar because I'm the same way. But they said that she also had a very gentle side too, outside of being like, you know, flamboyant and fun. Um, she loved animals and all that good stuff. And she definitely loved her two daughters. She raised her two girls in a middle-class neighborhood in South Dallas. You know, South Dallas is, we need, I need to, I probably should have figured out what part of South Dallas because South Dallas can give you ghetto or it can also give you luxury. So I'm not really sure, but it's a middle-class. So I'm, I'm going to leave it like that. Um, her mom said that she moved there because, you know, she liked the neighborhood. It was a nice area. It was a good place to raise kids. It was just a good place to live overall. And <clears throat> over, like I said, close by, it was hood adjacent. So, you know, she could never really get too far away from the drama. But, you know, she was far enough away. And then one day, Deanna basically falls off the radar. Nobody can contact her. And everybody's very concerned because she's not one of those girls to just be out of pocket like that you know she talks to everybody um on august the 17th in 2012 vicky which is her mom she said that deanna usually called her around 10 or 11 every day when she'd be driving to her job and then that particular day um vicky did not get a call from deanna and that was friday so by sunday nobody still had heard from her so obviously that is a red flag especially if you're used to hearing from somebody every day all the time uh, her mom was like, <clears throat> you know, that's just not like her. So she, you know, starts calling the family. It's like, can y'all please help me try to find her? So, you know, Vicky went to the church and the church, you know, was starting to look for them and call around and check all the people. And then her sister was like, you know, we knew something was wrong, but we just didn't know what was wrong was going to be as bad as it was. And it was um, pretty bad. So. They get to the house and her mom and her sister are there and she's knocking on the door. And nobody's answering the door. So it's like, uh oh, what's going on? You know, they said they tried to look in the windows. They tried to knock on the door. They tried to open the windows. Nothing happened. And they saw that her blinds are kind of like messed up. So, you know, you know, if you have like straight blinds, either you got little kids that's tearing your shit up or, you know, something's not right. And then they looked at the front door and then out of the front door, they could see, well, excuse me, not the front door, the garage. They could see a bunch of water running from the garage down the driveway into the gutter, which is obviously a clue that something is not right. So at that point, the mom calls 911 and she's like, she needs them to come because she hasn't heard from her daughter in three days. You know, the dog is barking. Nobody's coming to the door. You know, she's very concerned. And she's like, I need the police right now. And then here comes the shitty fucking 911 operators that really need to go back to class and learn how to handle shit a little bit differently. The operator tells her, you can keep looking for her, but calling the police is a last resort. How do you tell a mama checking on her daughter that she hasn't heard from in three days that calling the police is the last resort? <laughs> make that make one piece of sense because I don't understand. So the 911 operator says, you know, have you called the jails and the hospitals? She's like, mama says, no, I didn't. I called y'all. Can you please send the police over here? And the operator says, no, ma'am. <laughs> the operator says, no, ma'am, I cannot. You just have to do those other things first. So you mean to tell me if my 
kids, one of my kids, I haven't heard from in three days, and I call the police. They're going to tell me I have to call the hospitals and the jails first. I'm not doing that. This is y'all's motherfucking job. Find my fucking kid. <laughs> if that's what I'm calling you for. Like, it's pretty simple. So the mom says, I'm not doing that. I don't know what you're talking about. I need somebody to get over here now. And then after that point, mom's like, you know what? Fuck y'all. She hung up the phone, period. She said, I'm going to break the door down. So mama and sister get to kick in the door. Bam, 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 bam. And then on the third kick, the door opens. And once they got inside, you know, we've talked about this plenty of times, that smell. That smell hit them as soon as they hit the door. And the sister decides, she's like covering her nose. She's like, oh, my God, this is not good. You know, mama's like, I'm about to get up in here. Sister was like, you know, I've never smelled death before. And it's just like, you know, my sister's house is always very clean, smells good, whatever. But this time there was water like all over the floor. And, you know, the mom is just yelling out, you know, what is going on? Oh, my God. You know, it's giving drama because you go in your kid's house and you smell something and it's all fucked up and it's not fucked up. You know, something is wrong. You hope it's not anything wrong, but, you know, it is. So they decide to follow the water And it gets back to the house, in the back of the house, and her daughter's bedroom door was closed. So she kind of, she said she kind of pushed the door with her fingers and opened it. And when she pushed it a little bit, the whole fucking door, like, fell off the hinges. Whole door fell off the hinges completely. And then she said, that's when we saw the bedroom. The bedroom was completely trashed. Basically, it looked like a brawl had went down in that room. She said that the table was flipped over, all her jewelry was everywhere, like the place was a huge mess. And then it looks like, she said they just looked like somebody had like dropped a bomb in her room and it was all over the place. So this whole time, they call back to 911, but they're not necessarily talking to the operator. They're just talking to themselves, trying to figure out what's happening. And now the operator's like, oh yeah, I'm going to send the police now. Don't go back in the house, go back outside. And the mom was like, bitch please I'm not going outside of nothing I'm about to find my kid so they get further in the room and then they get to the bathroom that's attached to the room and she's still on the phone and their conversation was like the mom's like oh my gosh 911 operator said what is it she said oh my god oh my god she just kept saying oh my god and the operator's like Mrs. Cook did you find her what's happening and the mom just literally can't answer because she was literally like sick to her stomach she says I walked in the bathroom and I pushed the door open and I saw her in the water and I screamed and I was like, oh, my God, my daughter's in the water. And then she starts crying and she's like pissed off, like she's crying and she's pissed because she already knows who the fuck is behind this. And she knows and she's over it. She said that she started screaming. He did it. He did it. He said he was going to do it. And he did it. And she's like, you know, it took everything in me not to just walk out and try to find him and, you know, kill him myself. Um, Deanna Cook was found by her mom. She had been strangled and she was drowned in the bathtub and she was literally just decomposing in water in the bathroom. And she had obviously been there for several days. And, you know, her mom, you know, being that her mom was the one that found her, that probably is just like a whole, the trauma, the, just the picture, like the image of that, seeing your child, like, I don't want to do the imagery because I'm an image girl and I'm looking off into the sunset right now recording this and I'm seeing it and I don't want to see that 
But yeah. So, you know, she did probably, I'm going to say maybe two days before they said that Deanna had actually called the police herself two days prior. And here's like a little short, um, just a quick transcript. And this came literally one day before she was killed. She calls, you know, says Dallas 911. This is Pat. What's your emergency? And Deanna was like, um, yeah, I have a stalker. And she goes into all the stuff. Um, you know, she's like, he's been out here. He's been parked all day long across the street from my house. I don't know what his plan is. She was like, if you look up my name, you could see almost a hundred, maybe thousands of calls that I've made complaining, but nobody's done anything. Um, she says that her mom says, you know, she almost called the cops like every week about this guy every week. And nobody just seemed to not want to do anything. So um, they say that Deanna Cook made her last 911 call on the day of her actual murder. And this is what it said. I'm not going to play it, but I can just read it because I'm not going to play it. Because to listen to that was a little bit, little bit more difficult than me just reading it to you. So it's like, you know, 911, and she's like screaming when she they answer. She's like, stop it, stop it, stop it. And the operator's like, hello, do you need police, fire, or anything? I need an address. And she's not talking because she's literally being fucking attacked by this monster of a motherfucker. So she's in the back like, oh, my God, help me. She's screaming, da-da-da. And she's talking to him, and she's like, what is wrong with you? Stop it. And you could tell she was mad, but after she was a little bit angry she starts getting scared because shits just start getting worse and worse and worse and worse um she's saying please I'm not doing anything please baby please please don't don't take me out please don't take me out please like to like imagine being that operator and hearing somebody saying please don't take me out while he's physically attacking her is just ridiculous um and now the guy in question, his name is Del Vecchio, Del Vecchio, Del Vecchio Patrick, and he was her ex-husband. And he obviously had no idea that she was on the phone with the police the whole time and it's being recorded. So he doesn't know. So he's in the background saying to her, where the police at now? And she's like, I'm not doing nothing to you. And he's like, where's the motherfucking police now, bitch? Like going off. And she's like, you know, she's like, I'm not doing anything, not doing anything. And he's like, yeah, where the police at now? There's nobody here to help you. Where the police? He's like, and he just kept saying, I'm going to kill you over and over. Just, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you whole time. And she's like, no. And he's like, I'm going to kill you. And he just kept saying that over and over. And then at that point, this is whole time while she's on the phone with 911. It's not like they've hung up. Like, this is actual, they heard it. So at some point. I'm just going to call him the man because I don't feel like going through his name anymore. The man chokes her while she's on the phone and they can hear it. The operator says you can hear her gasping for air like choking and then you hear water in the background and then it goes silent. And then there is silence for about 15 more minutes. Police are still on the call and they finally say, ma'am, do you need fire, police or ambulance? And at this point, it's like, did y'all... 15 minutes y'all could have been had somebody out there y'all could have been had somebody on the route when she you first heard her hollering and carrying on like y'all could have been had somebody sent out like I don't understand the process of any of that like somebody should have been on the way when you heard that but we need an address 
Don't y'all got GPS? Don't y'all can get somebody's address based off their phone? Y'all can do everything else. Uh, y'all couldn't do that for her? Guess not. So, <clears throat> at which point they're asking the police, like, do you need somewhere? And she's, and you know, obviously she can't respond because she's dead and he's there and he did it and you heard him do it. And you heard his name because she said his name multiple times. And so, it, you know, that's where that was. And then they said that before they even got married, like the family still didn't really like him. They felt some type of way about him because before, you know, he used to beat her and then they said she married him because she thought that she could fix him. Ladies, it's not our job to fix these motherfuckers. It's not our job to fix a man because you're not going to fix a man that's going upside your head. You can fix him. <laughs> and by fix him, I mean, take his ass out <laughs> or you, but you're not going, you're not going, you're not going to fix that. And that's a terrible mistake that a lot of women make thinking that they can change him. And you're not changing that because that's deep rooted. And you can probably blame his mama and his daddy for that because you're not going to be able to fix that. She said, you know, sometimes he would stop and then it just kept getting worse. And then they said that one night um, they saw like a huge jealous rage coming from him. He beat her senseless to the point where he choked her unconscious. And they said that when she woke up, all of her clothes were gone. He had took off all her clothes and she ended up running out of the house, going to a neighbor's house. And in all honesty, he probably could have killed her that day. And the sister was like, yeah, you know, that was the third time that he's actually tried to do that for her. Uh, he has like a long list of assaults and jail time and stuff like that. You know, he would go to jail for several days, get out and that would be it. You know, never anything after that so after a while you know Deanna had had enough and she decided to file papers she decided to divorce him and file papers to keep him away she definitely had an active restraining order that he did not abide by he was just like I'm gonna do what the fuck I want to do like he had paperwork all these things and he just still kept coming around doing what he wanted to do and it was at some point after the restraining order you know they asked the mom, have you ever heard the man threaten your daughter? And she was like, I did. I've heard it. He said it in front of me and I told her to leave him alone. I was like, because he is going to kill you. Like, this is a fact he's going to. And at which point, obviously the mom was right. So once they, once that operator, after that 15 minute of silence, they were like, do you need somebody? And then it took about, they said it took about 50 minutes from the time the call was made till the police were actually dispatched to the house. Now, <laughs> 50 minutes. And I'm like, like I said a few minutes ago, y'all heard the distress when she called you initially. So why did it take 50 goddamn minutes for anybody to even be dispatched? Not to arrive, to even be dispatched. <sighs> And it was like, she said, the police was like, it was, they weren't even in a hurry. They didn't care. They just showed up when they felt like it. And they said that the reason, this was their news. They said that the reason that it took so long for her to, for them to get there is because she called from her cell phone and not from a landline. They said that if you call from a landline, we know exactly where the call is coming from and they can send out a unit. So they're trying to, I guess, ping towers and figure all that stuff out. But it's like, 
who has a landline? Like who you, I mean, some people have some, but at which point, like really, who has a, like, do we need to get a landline just in case we getting fucking stabbed and we got to call the cops and you can't track my cell phone, but let me, wait a minute, let me hang up and call you from the house phone so you can find where I'm at. Like, <laughs> this make no fucking sense whatsoever. Um, You know, the police are taking like full responsibility about this saying that, you know, we failed her, you know, all of us did in some sort of respect. And it's like, you all just sat there and let this man do this stuff to her forever. So let's go back to real quick to March 20 of 2010. Um, so Deanna was literally running in her bra and her underwear up the street saying, he's trying to get me, he's trying to get me open the door. So she's running up the street in her drawers, running away from this guy. This was two years prior. She gets to her neighbor's door and she's like talking to the neighbor. She's like, he's trying to kill me, whatever. She had bruises all over her. She was just trying to, you know, get away from him or whatever. And then she looked, the neighbor looked out and saw the, the man in the yard. But then he ran away when they let her in the house. And then at another point, they called, they got a call from somebody at a hotel saying that they found Buddy which is the man found buddy sitting in the lobby. And he told the officer that he, that she had assaulted him and that he left there because he had an active warrant. So that's why he ran to the hotel. And so apparently the man had stab wounds to one of his shoulders, had some wounds to his mouth, his left forearm and some scratches and stuff. So basically they picked her up and arrested her and not him. Because they said that she was the aggressor. But she was, of course, you know, released and acquitted because it was not the case. So fast forward again to May the 25th of 2011. It was about 1030 in the morning and officers were dispatched to a family disturbance at Deanna's house. When he came with in contact with Deanna, um, they were arguing back and forth, her and Buddy, and Deanna had some injuries on her hands. She told the officer she got hit a couple times and he pulled out a knife and she put her hands up and he stabbed her across the hands. And you can see that. And he beat her up, all that good stuff, not good stuff, but all that stuff. And uh, he got arrested at that point. So, you know, throughout all these, all this information I'm reading, like everybody just kind of had been telling her like, girl, you got to get out of here because this, like you got to go. And she just, after years, she just refused to go. And it was like, you never, you know, I don't know the mind of um, an abused person because their mind works differently, apparently, because I I don't know. I don't want to be judgy because I'm not in that position. I've never been in that position. So I don't know what it's mentally like for something like that. But I'm 100 percent sure it's very rough because I don't I don't I don't know. They say that on the 12th of August, 2012, <clears throat> she went to church. Deanna went to church and Buddy went to church with her. But this was all after they've been divorced. And the mom said that this was kind of weird because they were both acting kind of funny. They said that Deanna, who was usually the one that's the center of attention, she was very quiet and laid back. And Buddy was all up in church, shouting, singing, doing all the stuff and you know, she heard him saying, you know, it's all right. Everything's okay. We're going to be good. And 
after that point, you know, they had the mom and Deanna had started like calling a prayer line. They were calling people trying to just set up getting anything situated for her, just trying to get her squared away. And then they figured out, you know, after that, that was pretty much the last time that her mom talked to her. Um, later on at nine thirty four in the morning, she got a text from her daughter that says, I'm about to take a nap. And then that was the last text that ever went out from her phone. So imagine getting a text from your kids saying, I'm getting ready to take a nap. And then three days later, you find them no longer amongst the living. That is, ugh, that is a heart wrenching. Um, you know, they, people were looking all on the Facebook, trying to see if she was posting anything, you know, all these things. This was before mom just decided to pop up at the church. And it was just, I mean, it was nothing like I, the fact that she called the cops the day before and the day of, and he ended up doing that to her that same day. It was pretty, it's, that's pretty, that's actually pretty disgusting. So, you know, back to the crime scene part. Um, I don't know. It's pro I just like talking about that kind of stuff because this is the stuff that people kind of want to know about a lot is the actual crime scene. Um, they said that when they pulled up, the house was a mess. And this is from a firefighter. And he was saying that the house was soaked in water and it was running down the street. So it had been on water had been actively running. It wasn't just like sitting there. The water was actively running from the shower and while she's in there. Um, the police and the fire department found her body in the bathtub. Um, it was bloated and it was swollen. Of course, it's been in water. But she says most there's a I guess there's a way that you look when a body's been drowned or whatever. And that's how they could tell that she was actually drowned. She wasn't like put there post-mortem. She was put there. That's where the actual act took place. They said that, you know, he felt for a pulse. There was no pulse, obviously. And they went in there and they turned the water off. And then they just kind of, everything was just in disarray. And the police were just like, I just don't know. And it's, you know, it's pretty bad because it's like leading up to all these things, like all of these things could have been avoided. Like all this stuff could have been avoided. Like you have people calling every day, please help me. He's going to kill me. And y'all are like, well, he ain't did nothing yet. Bitch, are you fucking joking? Did you not hear all my 911 calls I made? Girl, I called y'all yesterday. I called y'all yesterday. I called you this morning. Like what? I don't know. So they said that um, they wanted to make sure that Mr. Man paid for what he did. They weren't going to let him get off. They weren't going to do anything. And basically in summation, he was charged with first degree murder, obviously, but this motherfucker pleaded not guilty. <laughs> what? Like <laughs> what how do you plead not guilty and she was on the phone when you killed her she was talking to 911 nigga they know your name like you clocked this period you're going to jail they said that the whole time he was in there they said that for the um his defense they said that Deanna had a history of drug use and the 911 call that she made she was hallucinating that he was attacking her I pause for the cause. What? They said she was hallucinating. <laughs> some lawyers, I mean, I, I love me some lawyers. I got some lawyer friends, but some of y'all motherfuckers is going to hell 
in a goddamn handbasket because you knew she wasn't on no drugs and she damn sure wasn't hallucinating no man choking her to death in the tub <laughs> in the tub okay no but she's dead in the tub so how was the hallucination did she she choked herself in the tub but i don't girl please don't get me going <laughs> don't get me going on y'all okay they said that the whole time he was in there and they were trying to you know for the trial they said he was super duper cold. Um, they said he was in ge- in general a very controlling, jealous sociopath. He wanted to control her more than anything else. And he said that if he wasn't going to control, he couldn't control her. He was going to kill her. And um, yeah, that was, you know, they had the whole trial. You know, the mom did a very good. The mom, you know, did what she could do at the trial. Then they played once they played the tapes, the recordings for the jury. They said that a lot of the jury members were very visibly disturbed by the actual phone call because they played the whole thing in duration, the whole 50 minutes. They played all of it. And they said that he was just there not doing anything. They said that when the mom was on um, on the stand, she was talking about the you know her victim statement and he was over there flicking her off with his middle finger. What are you fucking 12? Like who flicks people off anymore? Like, is that something we still do? Like middle finger to you, bitch. Like who does that? And during trial after you killed her daughter. <laughs> mm. Anyway, he um got a life sentence, but they said they assessed his punishment and confinement in the Institutional Division of Texas Department of Criminal Justice for 85 years. So he got 85. Now the actual Deanna's family has a civil suit filed against the city of Dallas and the police department because this is y'all's fault. You're cash me out. I don't have any nails right now, so I can't click, but cash. Give me that because y'all failed her. You failed her. You failed whoever else you didn't do this to before y'all failed. And after that, they say there was massive changes to the system after that. They're saying staffing increased and they say domestic calls are giving higher priority than everything else. I don't know why that wasn't always a thing anyway, but I'm guessing something is better than nothing at some point. People have to lose their lives for y'all to want to change some shit, but whatever. Now they have some um, scholarship funds and different things that are going to victims for um, domestic violence, whether it's their family members, kids, things like that. So, you know, something good is coming back from that. But here's the part, like they asked her mom if she could speak to him and what she would say. And she basically was like, you know, I forgive you. I hate you because of what you did, but I forgive you because I can't make it into heaven with the hatred of you in my heart. So at this point, I'm going to put my phone down. (laughs) I'm going to put my phone down with my notes and I'm going to talk about that. You know, as a person of color in the black church, y'all get on my motherfucking nerves with that shit. Baby, you're going to go to heaven. If that's your your life path and that's how you live in, you're going to go. But what you're not going to do is forgive a man that brutally brutalized your daughter all the fucking time 
and then killed her, flicked you off while you was talking about how you killed her and talking about you forgive him. No, you don't. And like the, you found the bitch dead. I mean it like that, but you found her dead, but you forgive him. There's not enough forgiveness in the world, big dog. Jesus wept. You finna weep. We gonna all figure it out because ain't no way. Okay. <laughs> I ain't gonna say it like that, but baby, <laughs> all I had to say is Jesus wept and he gonna weep when he see me that day. Cause I'm gonna be like, sir, I ain't, <laughs> he not gonna be mad at you for not forgiving for, for not forgiving the man that killed your daughter. He gonna get to the pearly gates and be like, sis, <laughs> you know, you've been very devout all these years, but you can't come past these doors because you didn't forgive the man who murdered your daughter. <laughs> I don't think so. And y'all going to stop using church as a reason to blame whatever. I'm going to forgive you because Lord, fuck that. You did it. You're going to pay for it. And I'm going to be mad about it until I can't breathe and be mad no more. You can take that to the steps of the house of prayer. You can take that to Pentecostal temple. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> so in conclusion, Deanna lost her life behind the lack of care for black women by the police, period. She lost her life because black men sometimes are very unstable when they don't get their way period. Deanna was a victim of lots of things because she did not have anybody to go to. And the people that were supposed to protect her and serve did not period. Police reform, police, these nuts. I don't know, but y'all got to do better. You got to do better for these ladies. Even if it's black people, white people, Indian, Mexican, whoever. Do better for these women because we need people to look out for us too. Because if we can't call the police, we got a goddamn stalker outside our house. Who the fuck we going to call? Ghostbusters? I don't think so. Anyway, that's my show for the day. Because I done got riled up in here. <laughs> Make sure y'all follow me on all social media. At In Killing Color. Follow my producer. It's the Sweet Talkers. Theme song by Remix Maniacs and all research and writing and freestyling and ranting and raving is done by me, of course. <laughs> Y'all have a good time and I'll talk to you next episode. Bye. <laughs> and be like, mm. Yeah. Like of like the 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 scene like mm -hmm. really sat mm -hmm. with me, and then like thinking about the um the fucking the, the I'm glad you didn't you don't you didn't play the uh, the recording of her. Oh no. That, that's, no. That's a lot. That it was a lot. When I was listening to it, I was like, oh, ooh. Mm. Even, even the one from the day before when she was calling, like it's just. And I'm I'm so glad that you brought up that whole church shit. Thank you. <laughs>
Because I'm so tired. I forgive you. I don't forgive you. No. Fuck off. I don't. I don't forgive you. And if you jumped off the side of the building, I'd be like, huh. Forget. I, I had to find my daughter dead and decomposing in a bathtub because of you, but you want me to forgive you for forgive it? You? Man, please, girl. The Lord didn't the Lord didn't set it up like that, baby. I don't think that's what he meant by forgiveness. No, get the fuck out of here. I don't think that's the same path. It means it might be, but I'm going to tell you. I don't want to follow that that doctrine cuz that's not for me. No, that. that I'm not forgiving you. That's Ever. Yeah, me too. It was a good one. I ain't mad at that. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.